Our reading this morning is um, from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 19, and that can be found on page 1227 in the books at either end of the uh, rows. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be standing up in front of you this morning, especially so to be preaching for the first time under my new name of Paloma Lee. (laughs) As Claire said, we are continuing our culture sermon series, looking at a never-changing gospel in an ever-changing culture. And today we're focusing on the topic of fear and failure, which is not something we have to look very far to see in our culture. So it got me thinking, what is it that we fear? And in my preparation for this sermon, I came across all sorts of interesting and weird phobias. So I thought we'd start with a little bit of a quiz to see how well you know your phobias. 
And I'll warn you up front, these are quite niche, so good luck. Okay, so if we can have the first one up on the screen. Cholerophobia. This is quite a common phobia. Does anyone want to shout out what that phobia is? Does anybody know? Cauliflowers. <laughs> Not cauliflowers. What's cholerophobia? Not colours? No? Should we have the answer up on the screen? Cholerophobia is the fear of clowns. Quite a common phobia. And if we jump to the second one, this is hylophobia. Hylophobia. Any guess on that one? I told you these were niche. Not hair? Not water, but that's a good one. I assume that would be hydrophobia. Hylophobia is the fear of trees. I didn't realise people were afraid of trees. Okay, this one, the next one, I think will be very common here. Um, this, oh, sorry, the one after. So, so pogonophobia, hopefully isn't common. Pogonophobia? What was that? <laughs> Not polo sticks. This one is the fear of beards. The fear of beards. And, and just as a quick aside, when I was looking for an image to put on this slide, all of the images I came across looked like material from um, an alpha course or something, sort of young, trendy people with beards. So I've gone for this chap instead, who's trendy but not so young. And then the next one, nomophobia. I think this one will be really common in this church and in society generally. Nomophobia. Any guesses? Not names. It's to do with these. Fear of not having your mobile phone. <laughs> okay, if we go on to the final phobia. Now, this one is utterly unbelievable, but apparently it's a phobia. And I'll be really impressed if anyone has ever heard of this. This is anatidophobia. The fear that somewhere a duck is watching you. Absolutely, the fear... <laughs> I am incredibly impressed. So anatidophobia is the fear that somehow, somewhere, a duck is watching you. <laughs> there we go. So that's, that's how I procrastinated at work this week. But moving on from that, what do we actually fear, assuming it's not the unsolicited gaze of ducks? Well, I think there are lots of things. And just to call out a few examples, maybe we fear what other people think of us. Do we fear when people gossip or do we fear not being liked? Do we fear falling on hard times financially, losing a job, not getting a job in an interview? Do we fear failing health or death, either of ourselves or a loved one? Do we fear people rejecting Jesus when we try to invite people to things? It may not surprise you to know that none of those examples are particularly new to the world. Those fears have been around for a long time. The passage that we had read today is the first of three letters written by John, who was probably the same John that wrote John's Gospel, who was called the disciple that Jesus loved, which is different from the John that Paloma loved. <laughs> still loves, still loves. <laughs> And these three letters of John are written to a group of house churches, probably based around Ephesus. And they speak to all of those examples of fear in some way. And they provide incredible comfort and challenge to us. To set them in their context, the church, the house churches in Ephesus at this time were in crisis. 
because a group of people called the Antichrist were going around saying that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. This first letter where our passage today is from isn't so much a letter strictly as a poetic sermon to the house churches where John is trying to ground them in the truth of God's character being light and love amid this crisis. I think to a certain extent we also live in a time of crisis. We certainly live in a time where fear and failure are particularly prevalent. So we're going to look at what comfort and challenge this passage can offer us. And I'm going to focus um, in this sermon on two different types of failure. Failure that results from sin or our mistakes, and then failure that just isn't our fault, result of circumstance. And then I'll also look briefly at our relationship with fear. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here this morning to look more deeply at it. Would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and comfort us and challenge us by these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, looking at failure that results from sin or from our mistakes. So, for this, we're going to be looking at the first part of our passage, verses 7 through 12. Now, this type of failure we could call moral failure. It's, it's where we, we do things wrong or perhaps we fail to do the right thing. Perhaps we ignore injustice or we ignore poverty or we ignore um, climate change. Or it could be to do with our fairly innocent mistakes, but mistakes all the same. Now, I just want to say a quick word here about the, the language I'm going to be using. So I will be talking about some of these things as failure. I appreciate to some that might feel a bit dramatic. Um, but the reason for doing that is, is to highlight that um, there is a difference between God's perfect standards and, and where we are. And we will inevitably fail to live up to God's standards. Um, and that, that can be quite a hard and uncomfortable thing to accept. But it's almost premise number one of Christianity to acknowledge that we fall short of God's standards, that from time to time, all of us, we fail. So what does our passage have to say to that? Well, this passage, as with all of the Bible, has amazing news, really good news, given that all of us fail. So firstly, this passage tells us that God did something about it. Verse 9 of our passage said that God showed his love among us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might live through him which I'm sure you'll agree has strong echoes of John 3, um, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him may not perish but have eternal life. So God did something about it. He knows that we fail, he knows that we sin, that we make mistakes, and he did something about it. He sent Jesus into the world. Verse 10 of our passage starts with, This is love, not that we loved God, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. So God knows. God knows that we fail. It's not a surprise to him when we make mistakes. Nor is it a precondition of being a Christian that you have to be without failure. In fact, as I say, it's premise number one. You have to be someone who fails to qualify to be a Christian. And then the second half of verse 10 says that he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. So Jesus died for our sins, making up for all of our failure. Every single thing we've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong has been dealt with by Jesus' death. 
by believing that he died for us, we can have complete forgiveness of our sins and our failures. And we're washed clean and we're seen as though we were perfectly righteous like Jesus was. I think these verses, 7 to 12, are absolutely beautiful. They're describing God's love for us. They tell us that God is love. God invented love. All examples of love that we have in our lives come from God, the source of all love. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only person here who can sometimes be a little bit self-critical. I sometimes struggle to forgive myself when I've done something wrong. I fixate on my failures. I often play over them in my head. Um, just yesterday, um, interestingly, I was, was looking for the right example to put in here and then something went wrong. So God obviously was just prepping me for today's sermon. Um, but I was at John's concert last night and he needed a, a suit. Um, and my one job was to turn up at the concert venue with the suit. Can you guess what I turned up at the con- concert venue without? It was John's suit. So it was a you know, completely innocent mistake. But in that instance, I'd failed to do what John needed me to do. And in the, the emergency taxi back to the flat to collect the suit, I was just going over and over in my head the mistake I'd made, feeling really bad and being really critical of myself. And then I paused and thought, hang on a minute. What am I preaching on tomorrow? God knows that I made mistakes. And God doesn't sit there angrily telling me off for them. But I know that he's already lavished his love on me. He's already forgiven me completely by Jesus' death. So about halfway through the taxi journey, I started to, to forgive myself in recognition that God had already forgiven me. So what does this mean for us when we um, have failure that results from our sin? Well, as we've said, the invitation in this passage is that we can come to God, that we can acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, that he has died and risen again. And as a result, we are completely forgiven. So when we face failure as a result of something we've done, however big or small, let's come to God, confess it to him, and receive that forgiveness that he's promised us. Okay, so what about the second type of failure? So this is failure that has nothing to do with us. We've not done anything wrong necessarily, but just things haven't gone the way we wanted them to. I'm now looking at verses 13 to 17 of our passage. So examples here could be that we've um, been rejected from a job interview, we've been made redundant, or we've been hurt by someone's um, careless words or actions. When I was in my third year of university, I went through the demoralizing process of applying for graduate jobs. Um, And with, with most employers, they get so many applications, they just have to reject most people to get the numbers down. Um, And I was rejected from from the civil service, which is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. And it felt very discouraging. It wasn't um, a fault per se, um, but I'd I'd failed. I'd failed to to get the job that I wanted. It was as though a door had been slammed in my face. And so what comfort does this passage provide us for situations like that? Well, verse 15 In fact, all of this passage encourages us to look beyond our circumstances to some circumstances that are far bigger and far better than any instance of failure. Verse 15 tells us that God lives in us. The holy God lives in us. 
And as a result of that, verse 16 says that we can rely on his love. The passage is calling us to zoom out, not just to look at the particular instance of failure, but to look at God's wider plan. And then down in verse 17, it says that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, that in the world we are like Jesus, that we are completely forgiven, loved children of God, and as a result, we're promised heaven, and that is completely guaranteed. So this passage is encouraging us, as I say, to zoom out, that when we face failure, to look at the bigger picture of what God has done for us, bigger picture which is completely secure and will never change, and rely on that. It reminds me of um, the passage in, in Philippians that says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Imagine that. Imagine if in our lives we considered all things, the, the successes, the failures, as a loss because knowing Jesus was just so much better and so unchanging, never going to be affected by circumstance. What great comfort. With my um, job application that didn't go to plan, it then sparked me into a process of learning to trust God's plan for my life. Um, someone at the first service asked me if I did end up finding a job. I did in the end, so God, God provided. Um, but it started to change the way that I thought about failure. It started to affect the perspective I went into situations with trying to remind myself and ground myself in those truths that won't change. So in terms of an application for us day to day, when we go into any situation, let's be reminded of the eternal truths that God lives in us, that we can rely on his love and that we can have confidence on the day of judgment that we will be with him in heaven. And if we remind ourselves of those things that are secure, then failure perhaps will lose some of its sting. The American theologian and pastor John Piper wrote about um, failure that God doesn't care if we succeed or fail. He cares that we depend on him. He cares that we depend on him. So what a great challenge for us that when we go into a situation where we don't know if we'll succeed or fail, let's depend on God. Okay, so we've looked at failure. Now let's turn to fear. And the question I want to pose to us is, are we putting our fear in the right place? So we're looking at the last two verses of the passage um, that we read, 18 and 19. We all experience fear. It could be of a whole multitude of different things. As I said, it's unlikely to be um, ducks watching you, but there are plenty of genuinely difficult and scary things in life that we can fear. Perhaps one of the fears we have is of failing. Or as we said at the beginning, failing health, um, not having enough money to pay the bills, um, etc. I could go on. Now all of these things are understandable causes of fear. But this passage challenges us to be transformed. Transformed in the light of God's love when it comes to fear. So verse 18 tells us there is no fear in love. What a bold claim. There is no fear in love because perfect love, God's love is perfect, drives out fear. Now, I'm sure that I'm not the only person here thinking, hmm, I still fear, definitely. But it's okay because verse 18 also reassures us that we're all works in progress. 
It says, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. I'm definitely not there yet. So we're on a journey towards overcoming fear as we realize God's love for us. And verse 19 reassures us that when we go on this journey of overcoming fear, we do so in response to what God has already done, to those truths that are already secure. We love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. So everything we do in our journey of overcoming fear and not worrying about failure is in response to what he has already done. Now, the keen-eyed among you will know that um, in the Bible, there are, the word fear is often used with two different meanings. Um, so I just want to talk briefly about those two types of fear and, and what we do with them. Are we putting our fear in the right place? The first is um, what I'm going to call the fear of man. So this is the bad type of fear, as it were. This is fear that the Bible consistently tells us not to have. Isaiah 43 says, don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So we're constantly told in the Bible not to fear. That's the fear of man. That's the thing we should try and avoid and overcome. But then there's another type of fear, which is good. And that's the fear of God. Proverbs 9 calls it the beginning of wisdom. And Isaiah 11, when describing Jesus, says that he delights in the fear of the Lord. Now, fear, as in the fear of God sense, is not a a bad or scary thing, but it's about reverence and awe and appreciating the majesty and holiness of God. I think it's fair to say that for my generation in this culture, um, that's not necessarily a natural thing to associate with. Um, I find it quite hard sometimes to think about God in in an extremely holy, reverential way. Um, And and amusingly, something that's really helped me to understand God better in that way has been watching the series on Netflix, The Crown. Has anyone, by, by quick show of hands, who else has seen The Crown here? Excellent, some good fans here. If you haven't, would thoroughly recommend. But it's given me a real insight that is not particularly forthcoming in my generation um, about the the, the reverence um, with which the monarchy is held and words like your majesty and the, the bowing and the ceremony helps me a little bit to understand more the kingship of God. Um, I, I, I'm totally aware that um, different cultures and different generations may not have such of a lack of familiarity with, with some of that. Um, and I would encourage anyone who doesn't quite know how to fear God to um, maybe talk to people of a different generation or a different culture where where those concepts are um, easier to understand. So where are we putting our fear? Are we focusing on the fear of man, worrying about things, or are we focusing on fearing God in reverence and awe? The hymn that we're going to sing at the very end, Amazing Grace, um, has this incredible line in it. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Now, I never understood what that line meant until I became a Christian. When I was starting to think about Christianity seriously for the first time, uh, around the age of 15, I had the realization that if God did exist, then he was great and powerful and mighty and so much bigger than me. And actually, I didn't really get to decide whether or not he existed, because if he's this great person, his existence is entirely independent of what I think about him. And at that point, I was also convicted of my sinfulness, my mistakes 
The fact that this perfect God was a million miles away from where I was in my life. And on reflection, that was God's grace teaching my heart to fear, as the the song lyric goes. And then the second part of the song lyric, grace, my fears relieved. When I realized that God, through Jesus, has given us the free gift of completely unconditional love and forgiveness, it meant that whatever happened, whatever mistakes I made, I was completely and utterly loved by him. And other things stopped mattering a bit. So that was an incredible line that, that really spoke to me, those, those different fears. So for us on a day-to-day, how can we push our fear in the right place? Well, let's trade. Let's make a swap. Let's swap the fear of man for the fear of God. And when we're experiencing fear, let's choose to go to God in worship and reverence of who he is, knowing that he has done everything for us. So just to summarize what we've covered, the message in this passage for us and for our culture is that God knows we fail. It's not a surprise to him. Jesus has dealt with everything. And he's given us a hope that is far greater than any circumstance. So let's let's trade in our fear for reverence and worship of God. Only in Jesus can we be free from fear because God's love is unchanging in failure. Amen.